Well, brethren, it's good to be among you. And I was telling my son as we were coming up, I said, don't miss out on the beauty of what we see here, of the snow falling on the earth of God's creation. And uh, as though we were kind of concerned and rushing, didn't want to miss out on that. For truly the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. And, and even at times like this, we need to remember to pause for a moment and just take note of what God is doing around us and to give him the glory. And, um, but anyway, that will not be our topic this morning, however, <laughs> the weather. Um, <clears throat> for this hour, I like to talk about uh, the believer, the Christian. When a Christian is overwhelmed with a sense of his or her sin. Now, as a believer, we rejoice in being forgiven of our sins. Christ saved us, and he forgives us. But yet, there is the remaining of sinful corruption within us. And that corruption is the occasion of much grief and sorrow, sometimes fear and anxiety, something which we must battle against until we go to heaven. And so as we live the Christian life, <clears throat> we will find occasion, even Jesus taught us to pray. When you pray, say, forgive us our sins or debts as we forgive those who sin against us. And Peter says, how often shall, if my brother sins against me, how often shall I forgive him? Seven times? And Jesus says, 70 times seven. And there is this recognition of this reality. This is not something we merely just read about in the Bible. But this is something we experience and we know it all too well. Sometimes, so much so that we may even wonder, are we truly a believer? Has God really saved us? Sometimes as the child of God, experiencing these things and and what I want to say simply and in, in what we're going to bring today I'm going to begin with the application and I'm going to end with the application in this hour <clears throat> and so my application is for the believer when a believer is overcome and have an overwhelming sense of his or her sin here's what we need to do go to God Go to God. Don't try to work it out. Don't try other methods. <clears throat> Go to the cross, the empty tomb, to the throne of grace, and there confess your sin. Do it again and again and again. You see, this is the beaten path that the Christian walks over and over as we live in this world. As I mentioned, Jesus, Jesus taught us to say, forgive us our sins. 
in 1 John 1, 9, we are told that we will be forgiven of our sins. And our sins can bring us down to despair. Even though we've walked with God for many years, and we've been a Christian, we're mature, we have experience with the Word of God, we understand the, the um, ups and downs of living the Christian life, and yet, there are times, even as you walk with the Lord for a number of years, what we may experience in a most grievous way, the power of our remaining sin. Sometimes in ways that we've not experienced before, and it can be downright shocking and overwhelming. New temptations, as it were, new struggles, and new Sins. I remember speaking to, and Ginger would know, hope you don't mind me calling your name out, but there was a man in, in our church at Trinity, Mr. Paul Bischoff. And um, he was in his 70s at the time. He has gone home to be with the Lord. And this man was a gracious man, prayed fervently, godly man, very godly. And yet he had confessed to the fact that he had experienced so much temptation and, and power and temptation from the evil one, even in his older years, in his senior years. And it struck me as a 25, 24-year-old young man hearing this, and I, it, I just didn't expect to hear anything like that. And I'm sure we all can bear witness to this to one degree or another. And as you grow as a Christian, and I know this is kind of extended, but this is more my application here. As you grow as a Christian, you get closer to God, right? You know God better. But what happens when you know God better? You see yourself more clearly. It's like you're, <clears throat> you're in a dark room and you can't see everything in the room, but there's a light. And as you go toward the light, and even as the light gets brighter and brighter, then you begin to see everything that's in the room, and you realize that there was, there was a hole there, there was a rat hole over there, there was other things. You say, wow, I've walked through all of that, and you didn't realize that. And then you look at yourself, and you say, wow, I'm pretty... I'm pretty dirty. I really need to get cleaned up. You didn't realize how bad and all the things that are upon you. So when we get closer to God, when we come to know God better, what happens to us? Our understanding, we're, we have more illumination by the Spirit of God, and we're able to discern things and see things as they really are. And we will begin to see and understand the, more, the gravity more... Um, clearly of our own sin. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. Paul, mature believer, you know in Romans chapter 7, he says, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But there's another law that is a principle, a tendency in my members, warring against the law of my mind and brings me into captivity to sin. And then Paul could say, oh, wretched man that I am. This is a mature man. This is not a new believer. This is the apostle Paul, oh, wretched man that I am. See, Paul had a sense of his wretchedness, and it overwhelmed him. And yet, 
He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then we read in the following verses, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We must continue to repent and believe. You know, we preach the gospel and we call sinners to repent and believe. Well, that's not an activity that you do at the beginning of the Christian life. That's not something you do at conversion. That's not something that is part of evangelism and the sinners who are unconverted, they need to do that. But that is something that we need to do continually in living the Christian life. We must continue to repent and believe. And, and the gospel, therefore, remains good news. We continue to enjoy to hear the gospel because it speaks peace. It speaks comfort to our souls. And we're reminded again and again that, yes, in Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness. And yes, although I am shamed and humiliated and horrified at my sins, and yet I can keep going to Christ not only once in the past, but continuously, and God will receive me. And so we continue to hear the gospel, and the gospel never grows old. And though we have to deal with these things, I want to encourage you, brethren, to never, never hide from God. Although we may be tempted to do that, but never, never even try to hide from God. Always remember our deliverance, our hope is going to God. No matter how miserable, no matter how much you may doubt, no matter how much you may question, well, am I truly saved or not? Or maybe how shameful and humiliated and horrified and even to your own pride, you say to yourself, I thought I'd never be tempted with that type of temptation or that. And I'm horrified, I'm ashamed and never run from God, but always, always go to God. It's always the right thing to do. Go to the Lord. We're never worthy of salvation. It's all of grace. We never can fix ourselves up and even as believers kind of get ourselves together. You know, when you gather for prayer and maybe and you have a corporate prayer time, and you say, oh, man, I had a bad day. I had some words with my wife or in, in the job and oh, I thought some lustful thoughts. And now the church is gathering for prayer and it's a no, I can't pray. I'm just too worthy. I got to you see what you're looking for is you're looking for. Something to make you feel good about yourself. Something to make you feel worthy so that now, you know what, I had a good day today and I feel like I really walk with the Lord. I feel a bit worthy to come before God in prayer. So I'm going to stand up with my chest high and lift up my voice because I feel so godly today. I'm going to go and I'm going to storm the throne of grace and pray. No. You see, that's subtly relying upon our works. It's very subtle. 
And even though you may come or you may not want to read your Bible, you feel so ashamed of yourself. Remember, go to God. Always go to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you come before the Lord and you come with your shame and your humiliation. And like Paul could say, oh, wretched man that I am, you say, Lord, I'm ashamed of myself. I don't understand what's going on with me. I don't understand why I may be thinking these thoughts or why I'm feeling this pressure in my heart or these temptations. Lord, this is horrifying. This is grievous, and I don't want these things. And Lord, I'm ashamed, and I don't know what to do, but I come to you because I know that your blood, the blood of Jesus, cleanses from all sin. And my faith is in your righteousness, not in mine. It's not in myself. And so, Lord, I come and I ask, forgive me. Have mercy upon me. You see what you're doing when you're confessing your sins? That is an act of faith. Because again and again, we are called to continue. When we believe in Jesus Christ, it's not something uh, we do once and for all. It is like breathing. What happens when you stop breathing? No air. You're not going to live. Faith and repentance, it's like breathing for the soul. And so you will never get beyond that in this life. And so therefore, always go to the Lord. Now, that's somewhat of where I wanted to go, but let us look at a passage here that really speaks to this. And I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Now, I can get up here and make these assertions and say things, but show me in the Bible. It has to be tethered down to Scripture. So don't just listen to someone that may, you may like how they speak. Make sure that what they're saying is tied down to Scripture and that you can see that what they're saying, that these things are so from the Word of God. So let's look at this passage here, 1 John chapter 1, and I'll begin reading at verse 5. And this is the message which we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if any man sin, 
we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And hereby we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And then we'll stop there. But our main focus will be a verse 9 of chapter 1. So think about the, my remarks earlier. This verse here is a familiar verse, and I just want us to look at it afresh. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, in this matter of sin, What we see here in verse 9, firstly, is the required condition. There is a condition here. And it's a required condition in terms of dealing with our sins. And that is confession. If we confess our sins. And basically, the meaning of this word, confessing our sins, it is to agree with God. You hear the saying, call a spade a spade, or people say, tell it like it is, or just give me the truth. Just just don't beat around a bush, speak the truth. And, And here, we must say the same thing that God says about our sin. How do we know what sin is? Is it because our personal preferences and opinions? Is it because of society? Is it because of laws? No. We know sin because God tells us what sin is. God defines what sin is, and we know what sin is from the Bible, the Word of God. And therefore, when we are confessing our sin, we are agreeing with God. We are saying the same thing that God says about our sins. And... um. You know, we can use euphemism, let's say, adultery. The world says, having an affair. You see, the word affair is a euphemism. Or some would say, I've had an indiscretion. Again, that's a euphemism. That's not what the word of God says it is. The word of God doesn't say it's an indiscretion. It's an affair. And other terms that the world may use, and, and, but you must recognize and see it for what it is. It is adultery. That's what it is. Because that's what God says it is. And I'm not going to go down through a whole list of sins and this morning to show you euphemisms compared to sin. But when you think of your sin in particular, Look at your sin. Look at what the Word of God says about whatever that sin may be. And let the Word of God define to you and to reiterate to you what your sin actually is. And in this way, our conscience continues to be sharpened, continues to be sensitive, you know, having a sensitive conscience. Well, you want a sensitive conscience. You want a conscience that is informed, not a conscience that is 
so overly sensitive where you're actually condemning yourself when you shouldn't be condemning yourself. And again, that's another study here. But here, you want your conscience to be sharp and to be well-informed and educated and to be in full, clear agreement with the Word of God. That's why I said is that when you grow as a Christian and you know God better, you will begin to see your sins more clearly for what they are. And even as the prophet Ezekiel said, you shall remember your former days and you will loathe yourselves. And you remember Isaiah the prophet when he was before the Lord and he saw the Lord high and lifted up? And what did the prophet say? Woe is me, for I am undone. Because mine eyes have seen Jehovah of hosts. And that's why it's so, for an unbeliever to think somehow that their good deeds are going to outweigh their bad deeds. Somehow that in the day of judgment, they're just hoping for the best. That stuff is all coming out of their own heads. And that's not the truth. The truth is what the Bible says. And if people are living by their feelings and what they think and what they hope will come to pass, and when they actually come before the presence of this holy God, they're going to be in for a rude and a horrifying awakening. Remember Jesus said, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out many works? Or in Matthew 25, when Jesus says, Inasmuch as you've done it not to the least of these, my brethren, when I was in prison, you didn't visit me when I was hungry. And they say, Lord, when do we see you in prison? When do we see you hungry? And Jesus says, Inasmuch as you did it not to these little ones who belong to me, that is, God's people. In other words, you're not, you, you have no love for believers. And that shows the fact that you're not a believer yourself. Because if you knew me, you would love my people. You cannot have Jesus without his people. And so in this matter of sin, what I'm saying about these rude awakenings, again, this is just the point that I'm making is that we need to be informed by the word of God and understand and grow to see our sins for what they truly are. That can only happen as we get nearer to God. You want to know God better? You want to grow in grace? You want to be more godly? Well, as you get closer to God and as your knowledge increases, even in this life, there's going to be more humility. And that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And... Yes, there's going to be joy. I'm not saying that the joy is going to be taken away, but this is an aspect of living the Christian life that we, I just want to remind you of this matter of dealing with our sin. We're focusing on this one aspect. So the required condition here is to confess our sins. The second point I want to make is the Assured result. There is a result that is guaranteed. As Americans, we like to get the formula, right? Show me the how-to. If What do I need to do to get this goal? All right? 
So here's the assured result. Look at the verse. If we confess our sins, that is, we agree with God, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, God will forgive us and God will cleanse. That's what it says. He is faithful and righteous to forgive and to cleanse, to forgive. That is, to send off or let go, to release us from the responsibility of guilt and of punishment. There's no obligation upon us to be punished for what we have done. God releases us. He frees us from this. That is, he pardons and he cancels out the guilt and the punishment that is required, that is to forgive. In other words, he's not holding it against us. He says, I forgive you as we have to forgive one another. We no longer hold it against that person, right? When you're offended, you've wronged me. And, or when we've wronged another person. We want to make it up to the person, right? I'll make it up to you. Well, there's nothing we can do to make it up to God. We can't do that. We are simply at his mercy. But if we confess our sins, if we agree with God and call our sin for what it is in light of the scripture, here we are told God will forgive our sins. But not only will he forgive, He will do something else. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is to be thoroughly cleansed for with a sacred washing, to be made clean. This word is used for ritual cleansing, or this word can be used for the healing of diseases, or morally, or to purify, or to cleanse a guilty conscience. And you remember David, you know, we think of David in in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. Let's turn to Psalm 32, because you're hearing my voice a lot. Let's turn to Psalm 32 and look at Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, those are like psalms that answer to one another. David confessing his sin in Psalm 51, Psalm 32, he experiencing the forgiveness. And we read Psalm 32, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom Jehovah imputes not iniquity in whose spirit there is no guile. So what David is celebrating here, the blessing of forgiveness, you know, it's that relief David is celebrating, that this weight of burden and guilt has been lifted off of me. And oh, I feel so relieved. 
And all right, let me not ramble on. Let's look at verse 30. Look what happened before he confesses sin. When I kept silence, right? When you don't confess your sin, this is what happens. When I kept silence, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My moisture was changed as with the drought of summer. You see, David was a true believer. He wasn't an ungodly, wicked man. He was a true believer. He did an ungodly and wicked deed, but that was not his prevailing character. He sinned grievously. And he went for a period of time not confessing his sin, covering his sin. He tried to cover his sin by having Uriah killed so that you know, no one would know that the baby is his. He tried to get Uriah drunk so he can have relations with his wife, whom David impregnated, another man's wife. But he wanted the other man to come down so the man could think the child. You see, David was trying to cover his sins. And he went for a long period of silence. But all that time, no one knew but God and maybe a few people around him. But all that time, David says, I was silent and I was miserable. I was miserable. He was trying to cover and hide it. And there was this internal groaning. And that's that guilt. And it was heavy on me day and night. And I had no rest. You know, and, and that's why when people in the world, and I'm, they're not believers. They don't go to church and they may do something bad. And they feel so ashamed. And, and people, unconverted people can feel shame because of the sin. They can feel that. Because they're made in God's image. But they don't know what to do with it. They don't have the shame as though they sinned against God. But they may be thinking, I've sinned against my, my, my brother or my wife or my children. And I was so with my anger and I did this horrible thing and I hurt my child and they feel so ashamed. And I normally, and you know what people say, that's not me. That's not me. That's not who I am. That's not who I am. You hear that all the time because they don't understand the nature of sin. They don't understand the wickedness that's within them, but they say that's not me. And some people, they have such a hard time with dealing with these things. They get counseling. There may be a place for that. Depends. I'm not going to make any blanket statements. But they go for counseling, pay lots of money, talk to a counselor. It doesn't remove it. It's still there. There's only one thing that can remove guilt and shame from our consciences. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing. That's the only thing. And here David, he is groaning and day and night. And what did he say? Verse 5. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity I did not hide. David came off clean. He put everything on the table. He said, look, I acknowledge my sin, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to Jehovah, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's it. I will confess. He's, in other words, he went to God. That's how we began this hour. He says, I'm just going to go to God. I'm wrong. I have no excuse. 
I, I can't blame it on anyone else. It's my sin. I've been hiding it. I've been miserable. I know God is merciful and I must come clean. I must go to God and I come and I say, Lord, I have sinned. I did this and I did that and I tried to hide it from you. And oh God, I'm ashamed of myself. Have mercy upon me, oh Lord. Turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. Let's hear David in his own words. Psalm 51, verse 1, David says, Have mercy upon me, O God. This is with the sin of adultery and murder. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. See what he's asking God to do? He's asking God to do what he was trying to do. You know what he was trying to do? He was trying to blot out his sin. He was trying to hide it. Isn't that what we do when we sin? We want to hide it. We don't want anybody to know. And he says, I can't hide it, Lord. That's for you to do. I'm going to come to you, and I want you to blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. He said, Lord, make me clean because I'm dirty. Wash me and cleanse me from my sin. I am dirty. And he comes to God. But Lord, wash me, cleanse me, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. I can't get away from it. It's always before me. And it was against you and you only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight. This sin was against you. Yes, he did sin against um, Uriah and other people, but ultimately it comes back to God. Ultimately it comes back to God. And it is against you that I have sinned. That you may be justified when you speak and be clear when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And here David and he's not blame shifting and, and shifting the blame. I couldn't help it. This is just the way I was born. But he's acknowledging how sin is so much in part woven into the fabric of his being. He says, Lord, I have done these things. I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin that my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward part. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than so. Lord, my sinfulness is something that taps deep down within my being. This is so ingrained in me, Lord. And I'm coming to you, Lord, because I don't have the ability to cleanse myself. I can't do this. 
I'm so bad within. I was born in iniquity. It's so much a part of my being, so deeply down within the secret parts within me. Lord, I'm coming to you, Lord. You're my only hope. Only you can do this, so Lord, cleanse me, make me clean. By your mercies, the multitude of your tender mercies, that's how he begins this. Your loving kindnesses, your tender mercies blot out my sin. In other words, David is saying, I am helpless, I am miserable, I am a wretch. And he's not just saying things and using poetic and poetic words. He is telling the truth. And in fact, probably his words are not adequate to express what he deeply feels. Do you ever feel that way? You just can't find the right words? And even though you can't find the words, God knows. And if you can just but groan, God can read the groan. He can read the sigh. And here David, and what is he doing? He's just pouring out his soul before God, and he says, cleanse me and wash me. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. You see, David is going right down to the source. And then verse verse 17, the sacrifices of God are broken spirit, A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And then you can read this psalm through and meditate on it. David is going right to the core. He's not concerned with an outward show. David wants to deal with heart issues. My heart, my soul. I'm coming before you, Lord. Help me. And so if we confess our sins, let's go back to 1 John. If we and turn back to First John because there's something else critical that we need to see there. First John one. So here, if we confess our sins, maybe John was thinking of Psalm fifty one when he wrote this, I don't know. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to Forgive and to cleanse us. Forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And David says, create in me a clean heart. Wash me thoroughly from my sin. Cleanse me and wash me and purify me. I want to be clean because I'm dirty and Lord, you can make me clean. And so what God does, he makes us clean, you know, the guilt, right? The guilt, because you feel dirty, you feel ashamed, you have the guilt. But when you're cleansed, the guilt is lifted. It's lifted. It, it doesn't mean your sin has been excused, but it means you have been forgiven. And the grace of God and the Spirit of God shows you by the Word of God and by His grace of the mercies of God and how God does graciously forgive. And when you come to God, now you got to do it God's way, not your way. When you do it God's way, God will visit you. He will visit you with his grace. And that's something that only God can do. 
And it's not just a feeling like I just kind of feel clean. You're going to have a sense of peace. But what's going to be tied in with that when God visits you is your understanding of the word of God. Never separated from scripture. Your understanding of the Bible teaches and of Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. And you see it throughout the scriptures, not just in these places, but you see it throughout. The woman, she loved much because she was forgiven much. That woman that washed Jesus' feet and with her hair and she kept weeping and weeping. And how she's known and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. Go in peace. She was broken with her guilt and her shame, but she saw in Jesus, she saw in Jesus that there is hope, that there is mercy, that there is forgiveness for even someone like me. And so she weeps and she goes to him. She's like, Lord, and in the depths of her heart, she's weeping and weeping because she's trusting in him. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. She sinned. She had a reputation. We don't know what that was. But she sinned in Luke chapter 7. She sinned a lot, but she was forgiven a lot. So that's the result. Now, here's here's where it all hinges on. We consider the required condition if we confess our sins. Secondly, the assured result that he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin, that is forgiveness and the cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Now, what is the reason why God does this? What's the reason? What is the, and I call it the unexpected basis. And here is the reason why God does this. Look at verse 9. Because he is faithful and righteous. Because he is faithful and righteous. That's the reason. Not because we shed a lot of tears and God was moved by all our tears. Not because we said the right things, we need to say the right things. But it's something more than that. It is because of who God is. That is the ground of this forgiveness that we receive as believers. And that is the reason why we can be forgiven and be cleansed for our sin in an ongoing, repetitive manner throughout our lives as believers. It's because of who God is. Not that we've accomplished things as Christians. We did heroic things. We took a stand for righteousness five years ago. Or three years ago, we were faithful, we were in the situation, and God helped us to honor him, and that was good, and we're so thankful to God. And it's not as though as God, God is looking at all the things we were able to do. In fact, whatever we do, we do it by his grace. It's not by our own strength anyway. But it's because of who God is. He is faithful and righteous. He is faithful to who? To himself. He is faithful to his word. You see, God isn't obligated to us. He's obligated to himself. 
We cannot make any claims and demands of God. You are obligated to do this for me because of who I am. No, he, he obligates himself to do what he does for us. He is faithful to his word and he is righteous. He is righteous. Turn with me to Romans uh, chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And I'm going to try to make this simple. As I said, turn to Romans chapter 3. I probably didn't realize what I'm getting myself into. But Romans chapter 3, there's a lot of um, teaching here. It's good, but I'm just hoping that I can do justice to it in the little time we have left. Romans 3, verse 23. We read this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? None of us is righteous. None of us can earn salvation. We've all sinned. We fall short of God's glory. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth to be a propitiation, and we saw propitiation, First John, through faith in his blood to show his righteousness because of the passing over of the sins done aforetime in the forbearance of God and for the showing, I say, of his righteousness at this present season that he might be just, that is, he may be righteous and fair in terms of his character, that he may be just, and the justifier of him that have faith in Jesus. In other words, how can God forgive any sinner? when the sinner cannot do what God requires? How can God forgive anyone when no one can keep God's law, when no one can fulfill what God's law requires? How can God forgive such one? And how can he be consistent with himself? He says the soul that sinneth must die, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How can God forgive anyone and remain true to himself that he may be just and the justify, in other words, to justify, to declare righteous the person who has faith in Jesus? How can God forgive someone because they have faith in Jesus and be righteous? Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus fulfilled all of God's law. He kept all the commandments. Perfect obedience. He never sinned in heart, in mind, in word or deed. And that's what you call righteousness. That's something we can never do. And that's what, if you read here in Romans, that is the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus... Uh, fulfillment of God's law. But that's not the only thing Jesus did. He did something else. 
Because we have sinned, we are responsible for our sins. We have an obligation to pay, like someone does a crime, big thing in the news, letting people out of prison, commit crimes, you know, here in this state, debate it. There's a sense of, well, if someone commits a crime, they should be punished for their crime. They shouldn't be let go. There should, that's not right. And so, in terms of our sins before God, what about all our sins we've committed? Well, Jesus satisfies that requirement as well, the requirement of punishment. Jesus takes upon himself the our obligation to be punished. And that's what he did on the cross. By taking our sins, in other words, our guilt, our obligation, we deserve to die. We deserve to go to hell, and that forever. We deserve the wrath of God because of our sin. And our guilty conscience tells us that we deserve these things. But what Jesus did when he went upon the cross, in addition to fulfilling all of the righteous deeds of, of the law of God, he takes upon himself and he offers himself as a sacrifice. In other words, I will suffer for their sins. And that's what it means to be propitious. God the Father will unleash his wrath. And Jesus will absorb in his soul that wrath. That's why he was on the cross. It was dark. Symbolizing the, the depths of sin and hell. And from 12 o'clock in the afternoon till about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, darkness covered the whole land. And toward 3 o'clock, he cried out, it is finished. What was finished? His endurance of that wrath, the equivalent of hell, he suffered in those three hours, if you will, we measure by time. He endured God's wrath for a multitude which no man can number of God's elect. He endured that wrath, and you know what that did for God? It gave God rest, satisfied. That is, punishment has been meted out, righteousness has been meted out, and God has been propitiated. Just like you have a sense of closure when the evildoer suffers for his crime. It doesn't bring back the loved one you lost, but you have a sense, although you mourn the loss of your loved one, yet you have a sense that justice has been served. He got or she received what they deserve, and you have a sense, well, at least I know that the person was punished for what they did to my loved one, and you have a sense of being propitiated. And that's what Jesus did. And so... When a person has faith in Jesus Christ, what are we believing in? We are not looking to ourselves. We are looking away from ourselves. And we're saying, Lord, I could never keep your commandments. And Lord, I dread the prospect of going to hell. But I see that Jesus has 
fulfilled the law. I see Jesus has suffered as the Lamb of God, taking upon him the sins of the world. And you tell me in the gospel that I am to repent and believe upon Jesus. And Jesus says, come to me. And he is the only one that can bring me to heaven. You see, Jesus is the only one that can make it so that God can remain just that is true to himself, and that God can actually forgive those who fail to keep his law, who fail to live up to what his law requires. I know this is making you think early in the morning, but this is the truth. And, and God, therefore, can be just and justify the ungodly person who has faith in Jesus. Because when the ungodly person believes in Jesus, you know what happens to that ungodly person? There's a transformation and they become godly. And then there's an ongoing process of growing more and more into likeness to Jesus. There's a break with their sins. Their eyes are open. And they're not able to run in the way of righteousness, but they're going in the right direction. And as they're going down that road, they're growing in grace and they're learning more until they get to glory to be among the, the, the spirits of just men made perfect. You see, that's in glory when our spirits and our souls will be perfected, not in this life. And until then, we still have this remaining sins. Oh, that envious thought, that lustful thought, that thought of jealousy, whatever it may be, or that deed I, I just gave in. I, I, I should have stopped, and I just kept going. I should have ended that conversation, and I ended up saying something that I shouldn't have said. And I know what the Bible says, grievous words, sir. And what a, oh, that person just got me. And, you know, that's our remaining sin. And we have to work with that until we're perfected in glory. And this is when it says God is faithful and righteous. Back to 1 John 1, 9. He is faithful and righteous to forgive and to cleanse. That's why God can forgive us. That's why he goes on forgiving us. Because of what his son did on the cross. Because of what Jesus went through. That was horrifying. And we cannot fully grasp all of that. So I end where I began. When you have a sense of being overwhelmed by your sin, go to God. Go to Jesus. Confess your sin. Forsake your sin. Ask for grace. He will forgive and he will cleanse. Let's pray.